Hi, welcome to today's podcast. It's come to my attention that everyone is talking about impeachment. People want to know more. And I can bring people the best of Twitter, the best of my own analysis, and uh, a cheerful voice for guidance and uh, mental engagement. So join me if that's what floats your boat. Thanks. Bye. I'm recording this as a podcast, so I uh, am offering that opportunity for anybody to listen further if they're interested in this topic. And as I've just discussed, impeachment is so interesting to so many people now. People around me where I am know that I'm obsessed and they're asking me. So we're talking about Australians asking each other what's going on with impeachment. Clearly, it's a key topic of interest. So as much as people on the right are convinced that uh, the impeachment inquiry isn't going to go anywhere, who knows what particular explanation they're clinging to at this present moment in time. They could be clinging to the idea that uh, it's all hearsay. They could, <laughs> just like that commentator just there, we, we mute trolls on this forum, just so you know. People are also saying, well, he won't get uh, removed by the Senate because, yes, let's establish to be impeached, that's a House process and he'll certainly be impeached in the House. The evidence is already there in the public sphere and Democrats, who are more reality-based than Republicans at this point in time, have the majority there. The simple majority is all that's needed. But to remove Trump following the second part of impeachment, which is a trial in the House, sorry, the second part of removing a president is is a trial in the Senate and two-thirds majority is needed there to remove President Trump from office. And this has never been done in the history of uh, US politics, in the history of uh, the constitutionally followed impeachment process. But let's, let's think about this further, that there are so many crimes committed by Trump, who is a literal one-man crime machine. Oh, I don't mute people who have, a, who have good points. I mute people who are trolls and make troll points. So someone who comes on and says impeachment is a joke, that's, that's a troll and that's not a good point and it's going to get muted. Uh, there's so much cyber warfare, uh, information warfare and disinformation happening on the internet that we don't have to give a seat at the table. The evidence that Trump commits crimes is manifold and varied. So thanks for asking the question. Uh, yes, I've muted you for being a distraction, but we'll cover it, rest assured. Uh, there's so much evidence that Trump's committed crimes because he's committed crimes openly as a way of trying to uh, desensitize people to criminality. And in the full knowledge that he has an enabling attorney general, William Barr, who is actively working for Trump not to be held accountable for any crimes, who worked to sabotage uh, the Mueller investigation, the special prosecutor's report. He worked to undermine the findings of criminality that Mueller made, the 10 instances of obstruction that were all documented very thoroughly. Uh, but Mueller pointed out that he did not feel he could make a conclusion about criminality because it wouldn't be fair on Trump because he wasn't at liberty to refer Trump for indictment and trials and due process because of the uh, memo written by the Office of Legal Counsel in 1974 uh, saying that a sitting president cannot be indicted. Now, many have argued that that memo is tired and out of date and was written to protect Nixon, but at the same time, Mueller felt bound by it, and Barr was clearly also ready to enforce that memo. Uh, and he lied to the American public and said that Mueller had pronounced by himself that there was no obstruction, which was very far from the truth. Mueller had written that he did not feel he could make a conclusive finding of obstruction or not because he couldn't subject the president to due process and that the president deserved due process because uh, of the Office of Legal Counsel memo saying a uh, sitting president cannot be indicted. Hence, no trial for Trump in the normal sense. Mueller also explained that uh, the constitutionally mandated process would be what would uh, properly evaluate Trump. So he handed it over to Congress and impeachment 
is the substitute for normal legal process. It's a constitutionally mandated process, but it's not the same as a court of law. Uh, So when Republicans lie and say Democrats aren't following due process, they are perfectly following the constitutionally mandated process for conducting an impeachment hearing and, and then bringing any articles of impeachment to the Senate for something that more approximates a courtroom trial, although it will still not be a courtroom trial. It will be presided over by Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, John Roberts, um, and Republicans who have a slim majority in the Senate will be controlling that process. Now, the point I'm making here about impeachment is that, yes, at present, most Senate Republicans are entirely deriding the impeachment process and deriding the strength of the evidence that's been brought forward, which is very... uh, untethered from reality, but that's because the Republican Party at this point is essentially a mob operation. They are not only a front for oligarchs, oligarch rule, whereby uh, wealthy, the uber-wealthy people in America have disproportionate influence over everything and over the political system, thus diminishing the value of the votes of the non-wealthy people. So the 99% are being subdued in their ability to exercise political power by the 1%. And that's why you have majority popular popular policies such as uh, better gun control uh, policies, uh, stronger national background safety checks that would keep guns out of the hands of people with domestic violence convictions or people with uh, severe mental illness. Those policies are not federal at this present point in time because of the actions of a ruling wealthy class that have diminished the functionality of American democracy. So I hope that makes sense to people, and it it should, because the evidence for it is all around. Although if you don't have the type of uh, mental framework that can accommodate such views, then of course you, you will discount the information in front of you and you will discount the data points, the anecdotal data, and the analysis that, that shows you how... Uh, uber-wealthy rule, uh, is par for the course in America at present. What are other really popular uh, policies? Uh, Safe reproductive choice legislation is quite popular in the US, majority level popular, but at the same time, uh, that is being undermined in various Republican-controlled states, which tends to have the effect of making it at least more difficult for women of less means to exercise bodily autonomy. So they can't control what happens in their body if they fall inadvertently pregnant as a consequence of having relationships strengthening, mutually uh, mutually pleasurable sexual activity. They are the ones uh, suffering greatly if it results in an unintended uh, conception. Now, wealthy people don't have that problem. Wealthy people have this additional buffer in the US that they're not supposed to have. Buffers are supposed to be more equal than they are now. But in Republican-controlled states, wealthy people, wealthy families can go, whoops, we accidentally conceived a child. I'm going to call it a child. I don't feel the need to call it a fetus. I think my argument is strong enough without having to dehumanize uh, unborn, unborn babies. But yes, if a wealthy family falls pregnant, then, or a woman falls pregnant, a woman of means falls pregnant, she can have that catered to. Uh, there will be a doctor, she'll be able to pay enough money to have her problem go away. She'll be able to access channels for uh, having abortifacient drugs delivered to her home or a mailing box, etc. There will be action that she can take. There, there will be means within her grasp. Now, oh, look, we have another commentator. And I, I don't meet everybody I disagree with you, but I thoroughly disagree with your comment that Hillary was unelectable. She won the popular vote. So essentially, if you had a functional democracy, Hillary would be president. But the Electoral College, which is like a vestigial limb, except it's vestigial racism, uh, which subverts your political system in favor of people who live in rural areas where slave owning used to be a dominant form of commerce and uh, and economic growth, those people's votes are disproportionately weighted 
through the electoral college system as a consequence of concessions made to racist slave owners when the constitution was written. So it's against the general spirit of the constitution, which was to uplift uh, men on an equal footing in the law, uh, but not uplift women and not uplift black people and not uplift slaves or humanise them or grant them the right to vote. So that's, that's why Hillary isn't president, amongst other reasons, namely that Vladimir Putin was able to, uh, to take advantage of these uh, flaws in your constitution. Uh, this nod to racism, the effects and the ripple effects of which are still felt today, that 40% of all of your elections are subverted by this uh, long-standing concession to states where initially most of the people were slave, well, um, uh, the ruling class were slave owners, so those people had enough political power to have this uh, insertion made into the constitution, this electoral college provision made that disproportionately gave value to their votes. At the time, it gave value to their votes by saying three-fifths of uh, the slave population could count towards a population tally. So yes, 40% of all of your federal elections uh, have the popular vote overturned because of the disproportionate weighting given to states that are still very rural, uh, majority rural population, which is still a leftover byproduct of uh, agricultural states that became agricultural states because of the value of slavery to those states. So where there is low population density because originally the high population was comprised of slaves. So there was always a low voting population in rural states. There may have been a lot of slaves, but, but low population of white people with the vote. And those states are still disproportionately weighted in the American electoral college system. So if you understand that, then you understand why in 40% of all cases, the uh, electoral, sorry, the popular vote is thrown out in favor of the electoral college system because it just works out that way at a statistical level. I'm glad you see now. So Hillary Clinton was electable. She won the popular vote, which would have meant winning the election had you not had in your system uh, a constitutionally mandated provision to give extra weighting to rural voters because of the history of rural voters uh, deriving from areas where wealthy slave owners were thrown a bone in the Constitution. The bone that they were thrown was this, your votes can have extra weight. Three out of every of your five slaves can count towards your population tally. Even if you don't have those white votes, you have that extra weighting in the Electoral College system. Hi, David, and hi, Jack. Thanks for joining in. I was just uh, explaining how rural voters in the US have additional weighting given to their votes. And when, that, when a rural-urban divide becomes more pronounced because of cultural issues such as uh, sexism, so fear of Hillary Clinton being a woman, and uh, compounded hyperpartisanship because of two term, a two-term black American president. So when that rural-urban divide becomes more compounded in a voting difference, that gives the Electoral College uh, weighted voters a statistical advantage. Hillary most certainly did carry the black vote. She did uh, by a significant margin, so you're very mistaken about that. And I urge you to go and source some information. I'll cheerfully post some information on my website, which is davcat43.com, D-A-V-K-A-T-4-3.com. And uh, black turnout was uh, less in the 2016 than in previous elections. And we can make a reasonable uh, intuition that this was impacted by the significant voter suppression campaign carried out by uh, cyber warfare disinformation campaigns funded by a hostile adversarial nation, namely Vladimir Putin. 
Yes. So as I just said, uh, there were less African-American voters. It's still fairly small uh, overall. So yes, black voters heavily favoured Hillary Clinton over Trump. So, so if you continue with asserting falsehoods, I will mute you because as much as I enjoy spirited debate, I don't wish to elevate falsehoods through this platform. And I will err on the side of caution because there is so much funded disinformation that is cyber warfare level. Essentially, we are in a state of undeclared war with Russia and we can't easily identify who is there to subvert and undermine our democracy. Russian trolls and bots do not wear a sticker. All right, so we have a new question saying, uh, does impeachment help or hurt Trump's odds in 2020? Well, that, that should at this point be an unnecessary question to ask, given the victories for Democratic governors in the last two out of three governor elections. So Trump went three times to Louisiana to urge Republicans to turn out and vote in a Republican candidate for governor. He failed. Yes, of course, of course, trolls and bots will equate my muting them to me not wanting to hear dissenting opinions. But of course, I ascribe to them bad faith motivations. They'll say that regardless of how I respond, if I respond to them and engage with them, they'll say your arguments are stupid. They are hell bent on uh, malice and mischief. Thank you, Martha. And I will read your uh, book extract, which... I will do. I just had a weekend off, uh, off things. But I did uh, still be on Twitter because Twitter is still my handle to accepting the reality that we're in, that a lot of people still aren't aware of, that we're in an ongoing war uh, in which we are besieged by purposeful uh, disinformation agents who try to convince us that climate change isn't a problem, that it's not a problem that democracy is being undermined in all Western democracies, that this is being purposefully done in order to prevent us from achieving the kind of political mass that's needed to address climate change. Now, there are various people who benefit from our political impotence. So my my podcast, my website, this scope is all about gaining political potency and joining with other people who are on board, elevating and amplifying politically potent alpha moves uh, from people who do care about democracy and about the human race. Uh, primarily the nations that are going to be underwater first as a consequence of flooding from climate change and, and rising sea levels are Asian nations. But uh, Western nations still are responsible for the majority of climate change gas in the atmosphere. We've been on board the industrialization train for longer, and it is the byproducts of industrialization that have caused this massive greenhouse effect of heat coming in to our atmosphere and being and a part of that heat being trapped and being retained by this blanket of carbon and methane that we have created and pumped out into the atmosphere ah see this is where i should have blocked a troll a little bit earlier i certainly do have an, uh, an opinion on econ on economy that i've never personally experienced because i am capable of thought and analysis and trump is capable of affecting the world economy uh he affects the world biosphere by pulling out of uh, the paris accord and making political uh, consensus more difficult to achieve and political action more difficult to achieve uh, he also affects the world economy eroding it significantly through instigating an unnecessary tariff war that merely assists Trump in his uh, perception as being masculine to people who are afraid of uh, feminism and people who are afraid of social progress, afraid of more flexible gender roles in society, etc., I haven't looked at the moscowproject.com, but that sounds like a good project. 
And and thank you for assuming that I'm British, troll, because uh, I enjoy that. I'm not British. <laughs> I'm Australian. I'm, I tend to mute them rather than block them, but if I think they're particularly destructive, like a really vicious troll who's most likely to attract other bothersome trolls by sharing my podcast with their troll group, then I make the decision that it's more worthwhile to, to block them outright rather than merely mute them. So if I think they're merely misguided, I'll just mute them rather than uh, allow my podcast to be disrupted by continual assertions of disinformation. But uh, if, if they're vicious, if they're coming across as somebody who's, who's just paid to, to chant uh, Trump slogans, then worthwhile blocking them. Somebody's asking me about Trump's connection to Russia. That's a very excellent question because with Trump, as Nancy Pelosi said, all roads lead to Putin. Now, CNN have published an excellent article today called uh, 25 Ways in Which Trump is Soft on Putin, Soft on Russia. I might read that, a bit of that out loud at some stage. But the interesting thing is, more than Trump is soft on Putin, we should be pointing out more broadly, how Trump puts Putin first. He puts Putin first ahead of American interests because his corruption is so significant that he puts his own interests ahead of America's and his own interests are allied with Putin's because he's beholden to Vladimir Putin in a very corrupt and uh, democracy-damaging way. It's no good to have a Putin puppet in the White House and Kurdish people are paying for that with their lives Migrant children are paying for that with their sanity, emotional um, integrity, and, and yes, and their family cohesion. Migrant children have been effectively orphaned. Even short periods of imprisonment have damaged them for life. The degree of grief and impairment that follows from the trauma of being forcibly separated from a parent and you imprisoned without any advocates, out any adult advocates for you and your needs and your health problems and your day-to-day -day existence, is a child placed in significant danger. David, you will make other people sad if you say fake news, even in jest. I know we agree on the potency of satire, but uh, I'm scared a moderator who's helping me will mute you if you say fake news. Uh, Republicans call Democrats socialist. And Republicans are also people who are likely to ignore the unprecedented billions of dollars being given to farmers as part of democratic socialism. There's, let's say there's two forms of socialism. There's democratic socialism in which you help people. You help people with nothing, letting them have a fishing pole and some bandages if they are bleeding because you don't want people to bleed to death or die in the gutter or starve to death. So you help people and that adds to your population. It adds to the functioning of your economy and your society. Uh, predatory capitalism, oh, sorry, mm, uh, corporate socialism is when you give all of the handouts to companies and you pretend that that's necessary and you have... Uh, overwhelming deference to companies. Oh, they are the engines of growth. They help people. Doesn't let the little people starve to death or die in a gutter or all get bankrupted from medical debt as long as you are giving public subsidies to companies. Uh, and that over-deference over is very destructive to American life and to American society. When you have real socialists and real communists, they... They try to correct that pendulum swing by saying corporations are all bad and that doesn't solve the problem because it doesn't build consensus with people who still are overly deferential to corporations. Uh, it, it completely says the opposite of what they believe to be true, presumably on the principle that you can jolt them out of their uh, unreasonable allegiance to companies. But at the same time, it could be better to shift people out of that point of view and say, let's have less power to corporations, not 
kill corporations, not like communists line everybody against the wall who are enemies of the people and shoot them. That's what tends to happen when you give communists the, the keys to government. So we want to indicate that that's not what we are doing. My friend came. Hooray. I will issue an invitation, which is to say, join in. I've been saying that uh, it's a bit of an overcorrection to advocate for communism, but Americans often use the term socialism as if that's synonymous with communism, and it isn't. We can maybe advocate for fixing that by saying democratic socialism helps the people and corporate socialism gives public subsidies to corporations in an overly deferential way that is at the expense of the people. Hello, my friend. I'm so glad you could join us. Yes, uh, Republicans argue in bad faith permanently, and I have a, a little bit of a good thread that I would like to share with everyone in which someone recounts the pattern of Republican behavior. So a recurring pattern of the polit current political climate. I'm reading from someone called Nick Carmody. His account is Nick underscore Carmody, C-A-R-M-O-D-Y. The right blames current issues and disasters on the left despite having contributed to those problems with behaviour ranging from passive acquiescence and enablement all the way up to direct, aggressive, overt actions and policies. David, don't be jealous that I get super excited when uh, Miss Niet Trump joins the room. Elder Silver, Miss Niet Trump, is my personal, literal, real-life friend. We are both Australians and we have met each other in real life. So... Of course she's going to get a big welcome. I have hugged this woman. I love her. <laughs> uh, and my Twitter friends, as much as I appreciate you, it is a little different to a real-life personal friendship. I mean, sorry, a, a real-world physical personal friendship. <laughs> thank you, darling. I am, yes. And thank you, David. I'm seeing letters being sent from you, and I'm taking that as a positive sign. It's not working for a change? Oh. Skewerman, you're, Martha, you're a fan of, of Miss Niet Trump as well? Excellent. She is wonderful. All right, so here we go. I'm just reading this thread a little bit. For some on the right uh, who are anti-Trump, one of the underlying factors for them seems to be the discomfort experienced with suddenly finding themselves in an unusual, uh, uncomfortable alignment with the left, resulting in an apparent need to differentiate themselves. So, for example, a political conservative pundit called Andrew Sullivan, who attempted to blame Trump and Trumpism on the left and atheism. I can see why never-Trump conservatives would be tempted to do that because there is a culture war that Trump exploits in which people on the further side of the left who are very into complaining about cultural appropriation, etc., things that don't have a majority level of support are often characterized as being the only thing of significance about the left. Yes, I am... I am not getting your request, darling. So you are making it, but I'm not. Uh, I would definitely click on anything that says uh, join in. So we're still having technical problems with that, my sweet. I've, I've sent out an invitation again just in case that helps, but I'm not getting an offer from you. Keep, keep trying. Keep trying. I know <laughs> there's some some Periscope bug that's specifically written to sabotage you and I being able to talk to each other. At least we know, because we've done it before, that it is possible when the stars align. And when I say stars, I'm not being astrologically minded. I mean when the electronic pathways uh, align. So the right preaches self-reliance and self-empowerment at its rallies and summits and then blames the left for everything gone bad, like a bad version of Shirley Temple. The left is so mean to me, Mr. Ambassador. I wonder what Shirley Temple movie he's referring to because I'm very fond of Shirley Temple. But in any case, let's take this important point and say, uh, 
the, the right blames the left for everything. It's a very familiar mindset to people who are familiar with elderly people, just going young people of today are always bad. That's been a habitual pattern across the millennia of human existence. Older people saying younger people are stupid and idealistic and wrong. And that automatic discounting across generations is a pattern. And so conservatives have always been able to uh, benefit from that. And that division is on steroids under modern media when people can hear lots more about what other people are doing, but it tends to get distilled into stereotypes. So uh, young people are overly stereotyped into a corner of being um, judgmental and overly insistent on symbolism being corrected. So, So most Americans accept that blackface is wrong and... And yet, young people are unfairly castigated for caring about cultural appropriation. Um, maybe, Miss Niet Trump, if I get out of this scope, although that's sad because that's sad because there's people listening. <laughs> but I might need to do it because I'm still not able to connect with you. And you have tried and tried to reboot it, haven't you? All right, let's try one more thing, what I can do. Can I? Um, I'll try one more time to invite people. Oh, look, David, David's been able to ask to join. That must be ticking you off, Miss Niet Trump. <laughs> Just testing. Okay, thank you for testing, David. That's made a good point that it's allowing, the system's allowing David to to ask to join. The system is biased against you, my friend. Okay. Well, I'll continue to talk and I hope to see an invitation forthcoming from my friend. Ideological hypocrisy. They're all about law and order until they're investigated. They're all about religious freedom as long as it's theirs. They're about small government except when they want the government to impede on others' rights abortion, or a cashing government checks, namely farmers and other industries that accept Trump government subsidies. So I can say beyond Trump that this is a habitual pattern of Republicans, that conservatives are able to take advantage of support from the elderly, disproportionate support from the type of people who will always say young people of today are wrong. And having that in their corner, they can also always uh, market themselves as being pro-business and financially responsible. Because it's true that Democrats focus a lot of their energies on talking about justice and just outcomes. And at this present moment in time, it's seen by too many people that idealism is lacking in pragmatism and that Trump is a successful businessman. <laughs> what a lie. He's a repeat business failure who runs every business into the ground and bankrupts multiple casinos, which is very difficult to do. So yes, can people typically get more conservative as they age because they put more value in their crystalline intelligence as opposed to the more fluid intelligence of younger people? So the pattern is, if you survive uh, all of those things, you will have survivor bias. You will say, I'm not where I am because of misfortune. Um, I've survived misfortune or I've just been lucky enough that I've escaped misfortune, you'll say, I have the characteristics necessary for success. Even if that's only partly true, perhaps your neighbor had exactly the same char characteristics as you, but they were a tree fell on their house and they were killed. So your survival may be to a degree luck. You can say, oh yes, my neighbor didn't cut down that tree, etc. but there's still always elements of luck. And the older they get, the more people are more likely to discount that luck perhaps and congratulate themselves for surviving and confirm to themselves that that's because of their innate ability. Hooray, my friend is joining, which means I need to put in earphones. There's a countdown. We have four, three, two, one. Hello. I certainly can. This is very exciting. 
Yes. It's like this oh, smiley faces, darling. Yes, it's all about the smiley faces. <laughs> ah. It, it deceives you. So the dot menu is deceptive. The smiley faces is what you need. Now we know. I should have reminded you of that earlier. <laughs> um, we are, what are we talking about, darling? We're talking about how the right has this uh, masterful edge on um, exploiting conservatism and the historical tendency of conservatism to discount young people. It's a concept from first-year psychology for me that as you get older, you build up more crystalline intelligence of saying, oh, I've seen this happen, so this outcome is statistically likely to follow suit. That's your crystalline intelligence, things that you know because of experience. And your fluid intelligence is your ability to, um, to guess things, to think outside the box and to just identify patterns that are happening and project things, not from experience, but from educated guesses. Uh, so I'm just talking about basically intergenerational warfare, being responsible for a lot of the Trump advantage. But now let's talk about the Dem advantage because there's all these electoral successes we can talk about now. How good is it that the Louisiana Democrat candidate is now the governor, even after Trump made three trips, three trips to Louisiana to say, yeah. Well, they already had a, a, Dem, a Dem governor, so that was good. It was already an exception. But for them to have a two-term Dem governor, even though Trump begged and said, you have to turn out, you have to bring your friends, families, relatives to come vote for me because I need this. <laughs> what was the last um, governorship he lost a few days before that? Uh, Kentucky. No. No. Oh, yes, it's Kentucky because, because Mitch McConnell is from Kentucky. He's the senator and people are like, ha-ha, he needs to be afraid. The, the Dems have clearly got their S together in terms of organising, getting out the vote. And it might not be statistically significant the number of people that flip away from Republicans because partisanship is very entrenched in the US. Everybody who belongs fiercely to a party in the Republican side really has their blinders on about what's happening in the US. Uh, and it's white blindness to the strength of an Obama economic recovery. I really resent that because we have a similar thing with less racism attached, just partisan blindness to how uh, the progressive government in Australia helped steer us out of a global financial crisis or helped us avoid ever succumbing to the global financial crisis in 2009. Like that was a consequence of George Bush's policies, tax cuts for the wealthy, billion-dollar military expenditure and turning a blind eye to under-regulated banks and mortgage funds that were just laying the ground for economic collapse in the US. And everybody suffered. It certainly does. You're saying there was a discrepancy between the level of risk people thought they were signing up for and the actual level of risk they, they received when they bought these repackaged bonds. And that's a regulatory, regulatory failure, and so Elizabeth Warren is presumably all over that. Um,
So the banks were taking on too much risk and too much debt because the ratings agencies uh, under-highlighted the level of risk that was being bought because the product was too distant from the original level of risk that it was being advertised at. It was a repackage, repackage, and each repackaging perhaps magnified the risk to a degree. <laughs> Anybody? Uh, yes, I should probably be watching things. I watched The Big Short, uh, but it didn't put enough. Actually, yeah, because I wasn't that economically on the ball at that point. Some of it probably went over my head. Uh, but there's probably people out there who might be able to comment as well in an informed way on this topic. Feel free to jump in. We're, we're essentially saying, what are we saying, L? We're saying uh, S&P, what are they called again? Ratings regulators. No. Standard & Poor, Risk Advisory, Ratings Agency, that's the word I need. So Ratings Agency. Yep. So, so we had a crash because companies took on too much risk and too much debt because in part of the overly generous characterizations that Standards & Poor Ratings Agency were giving some of these highly packaged, like a pass the parcel at a party. The, the parcels were so packaged that people lost sight of the worth of the present inside. Maybe it was just a stupid plastic whistle. But companies are like, yes, yes, I will, I will hand over $500 million on the bet that when, when this parcel gets around to me and I open it, I will get a prize of significant value. And it wasn't worth what they were, what they were gambling, which meant there was too much instability in the corporate world leading to economic crashes. You, you Google it and I will rail against um, the fact that people think poorly of governments that take on debt and they don't understand that corporate debt, uh, when completely ignored and allowed to get away with anything, is responsible for a significant amount of economic failure. People who subscribe to conservative political viewpoints get all f fancy – um, get all be in their bonnety about government debt, whereas government debt used well can be a massive engine for economic uh, restabilizing. So Keynesian economic principles would say that governments taking on debt uh, to stop an economy from circling the drain if there's been a lowering of economic activity, an injection of government funds can restore economic confidence, can give people that sugar buzz that they uh, go out and spend disposable income and keep the economy humming along. And a lot of the engine of an economy humming along is driven by consumer spending. But at the same time, corporate debt can destabilize that whole thing because when companies take on too much debt and collapse, they can't employ people. So yes, consumer spending keeps companies afloat in the first place, but companies can engineer their own demise by being too reckless with debt. And yet conservatives say, don't let the government be reckless with debt. They are villainizing the wrong institution because if governments say, okay, we won't spend, we won't stimulate the economy because that would be to take on more debt, then the economy can just get, consumers can lose more and more confidence, can rein in their spending to such an extent that an economic recession can devolve further down into a, into a depression. Does that make sense? I might have said that too quickly. <laughs> uh, I, can, I can summarize it. Government debt, if used to stimulate the economy, is, is too disparaged by the public when people should be more suspicious about corporate debt, but yet we don't normally scrutinize corporations as much as we scrutinize governments and get all partisan about it.
There's less partisanship about corporations. People mostly go, okay, whatever, corporations help people get jobs and make the products that we like and we like iPhones and we like having food and clothes, etc. The far left, yes, they're a bit communist about corporations and they say, damn you, capitalism, you're ruining the world that we live on. And to a degree that's right, but it's too limited in that, yes, if corporations are ruining the world that we live in, so are we, so are our patterns of consumption. It's just a function of modern life that we cannot isolate purely to corporate executives and say, hey, you line up the wall against the wall, this is a communist takeover, and we're going to eradicate the badness by ruining all corporations. We need to transition out of corporations because corporations still employ people. People still like being employed. Most people at a consensus level have an understanding that with jobs and with corporations, they earn the money that allows them to have families and feed themselves. So we might want to um, refresh the system and tweak the system, but we don't want a communist revolution. And people are the bulk of people are suspicious of revolutions and know that they habitually devolve into mass murder and re-education camps that involve mass imprisonment and slaughter of millions of people. That's what happened in communist China. That's what happened in communist everywhere, communist Russia. Re-education camps where you go, we've identified the baddies. There's an American play that's very critical to the point I'm making at this point, The Crucible about the Salem witch trials, and at the end of the play, spoiler alert if you haven't seen The Crucible and you don't want to know the ending. Spoiler alert, it's all about a man's affair with a young woman who ends up revenging herself upon him, um, boiler bunny style, by uh, accusing everybody of witchcraft so that the whole town is uh, just having people be killed by the legal system for involvement in witchcraft because religious conservatism has just got so carried away uh, that everybody is being put on trial for witchcraft or being an accomplice after the fact to witchcraft. And this man who just had an, a misguided affair is pulling his hair, hair out. He's in prison. He's about to get executed for not uh, giving up the names of more friends involved in witchcraft. And his wife is just like, oh, my God, at this point – I'm going to blame myself a bit, she says, because and the subtext is that she wasn't sexually involved enough with her own husband. What she actually says is something like, I, I accounted myself too plain, too poorly made, i.e. I thought I wasn't attractive, so I wasn't, I didn't enjoy sex with my husband and I didn't put out and he went and sought the company of our effing scullery maid and just unleashed this wall of, of S of feces upon us all. You keep reading, you keep reading because I am, I am ranting about the crucible and how sometimes it is important to be able to self-reflect and say, even if it's not obvious, that wife whose husband cheated on her is the most innocent person in the play, but how she can say, oh my God, if I had been a little bit more comfortable with myself um, and gone, hey, I'm attractive and my husband married me, let's have sex, then things might have been better because in the play he's, he's described as a good man. He just, his penis got the better of him a little bit, but his wife is saying, you know what, there could have been more action on the home front and there would have been if I'd enjoyed being a sexy creature. If I hadn't gone, no, I'm not really attractive. Part of the way to enjoy sex is to consider yourself to be attractive and to celebrate the mutual attraction between you and your partner. My God, this is so critical to America right now because America's puritanical roots are literally sabotaging the whole world because that backlash of puritanical thought of, oh, social progress has gone too far to the left, gay people get married, so the pendulum's swinging the other way because the right got so energised by gay marriage. And I think this is one of the reasons why Australia still has an incredibly destructive uh, climate change exacerbating conservative government as well is because part of the Australian public sought revenge for the legalization of gay marriage. Not just the legalization of gay marriage, but specifically because there was a vote saying, you choose people. So all the people who made that choice and said, we say no to gay marriage, they then had hyperpartisan energy of saying, hey, my vote didn't count. My wishes were not upheld. That disappointment you get from putting something to the vote when you lose. Yes, Puritans came from England. Good point, sir. 
but scarcely relevant. Uh, so that puritanical backlash of religion, our values should be more broadly adopted by society, our ideas about how to uphold the fabric of society and the fabric of the family. Uh, yes, that is... Um, we, we need to assert our strength. We need to have electoral wins. We need to work together. That is what fired up the right. When Obama was running for president, he had a campaign motto, fired up, ready to go, and people loved it. People used that energy to say, yes, uh, efforts are not being made in isolation. We are hearing this as a unifying call. We are fired up. We are ready to go, and it propelled action. So... We haven't talked enough about the backlash that occurred to gay marriage and to, to people on the left, to young people saying we should be more considerate of people's feelings. Yes, not only should we not wear blackface because it's part of a historical pattern of disparaging black people, but we should also not mock Indian people and reduce them to stereotypes. It was just an argument to move away from stereotypes. Now, now the backlash to that is is unmerited and unfair. I'm going to say that. That's my partisan viewpoint. But in terms of objective reality, it does strengthen families when gay people can get married and have children. Join in again, my friend. You remember to press the two faces icon and that will reunite us. Uh, so you've done some research now and you've remembered subprime mortgages, which was the repackaging of debt offering too much uh, opportunity to take on risk and debt for consumers. That was how consumer debt became a corporate problem because when consumers were offered too much, uh, too generous loans and those loans were then repackaged and unsold and unsold uh, in packages that concealed the high level of default associated with overly generous, illogical loans, uh, being handed out like candy by greedy, overly greedy mortgagees who knew that there would be a high rate of default and who were uh, cashing in on giving people loans that weren't suited to their specific financial situations. There was that gap in the market of, of mortgages. It's interesting because the black African-American population were negatively affected by being excluded from access to mortgages earlier on. In the 60s, if you were black and you had a great job record and you were conscientious, you had money saved, you could take out a mortgage and buy yourself a house and then benefit from the appreciation and value that comes with most properties. You couldn't do that. You were excluded from that wealth-creating opportunity because banks would not give mortgages, would not lend money to buy houses to people of colour. And that was, that was a legal way for the banks to behave and that excluded people of wealth from generating uh, assets that they could pass on to their children that would appreciate and value and generate wealth to be passed within the generations. So then the subprime mortgage crisis was swinging the other way, not just about African-American people, but an, an overly broadening of the mortgage market to say, come on in, anybody, get yourselves a mortgage. We're going to give you overly generous terms, but then repossess your house when you can't pay it. And that belief that that would drive prosperity for the banks and for mortgage companies uh, led to this gleeful uh, over-embrace of subprime mortgages. Subprime mean less than prime, less than ideal, giving too much money to people who wouldn't be able to afford to pay that money back. Uh, people who could have bought smaller homes were encouraged to buy bigger homes. They could not afford in the knowledge that the banks would then be able to repossess those homes. But they over-egged the pudding so that there were then so many homes repossessed that the bottom fell out of the housing market and the banks couldn't derive a significant profit from repossessing all of the houses of all of the people that they had essentially defrauded by offering them more money than they could afford to engage with as a loan. Yeah, I think I am tired of the troll. Nope. 
people were defrauded by banks and people were defrauded by overly generous mortgage companies. So when you say that's what they signed up for, troll person, uh, that is what they were defrauded into signing up for, purposefully by people who intended to repossess their houses when they defaulted on the loans and to make a significant profit in doing so and ended up defrauding themselves, well, not defrauding themselves, uh, over uh, practicing this to such an extent that so many houses were repossessed that there were that the market was flooded with houses that had been repossessed and the housing market lost value so was that a good um yes there were futures being sold on foreclosures good point bc bc merce join the team you are making a good contribution. <laughs> uh, I am someone who's learned about childhood development, not specifically uh, economic matters, but I'm here to learn about economic matters and translate them to a broader audience because people's economic illiteracy combined with their religious, the religious extremism of some people and the, the under-regulated greed of people in in various organizations and the blind institutional loyalty of people in religious organizations uh, I think the invitation sweetie is meaningless my my account is already set to guests can join so I have the two faces icon uh, Miss Niet Trump if you if you press the two faces I think that will hopefully work for you I don't know because I haven't been in your shoes with that. But just don't press the dot menu. I'm sure you you know that. If it's not working, I don't know. I don't know what we can do. But uh, I think I'm so glad you raised the issue of subprime mortgages because that is how consumer debt became uh, a problem for corporations. Corporations that had overly invested in subprime mortgages and had packaged together these these debt bundles that were hoping to benefit off the exploitation of hopeful people, people who signed up to bad terms and conditions that gave them too much money in the knowledge that their house might be taken away. People did not know how easily and how readily their houses would be snatched from underneath them, regardless of how much money they had ploughed into buying these homes in the first place. Hello, my friend, you are back. Yes, tell us what happened. They exploited they exploited people's hope that they could afford a home when they couldn't. They would have done better off renting and rather than taking on debt that was untenable for them. So we've had a couple of comments too saying that there were futures being sold on foreclosures and people were being pushed towards 
ARMs, increasing the futures market, do we, and, and variable rate mortgages. Do we know what ARMs were? BC Merce, can you tell us what that is as well? What's that acronym for? Something mortgages. Something rate mortgages. The RM is probably something rate mortgages. Um, yeah, so we've so, so far you're describing the packaging of this debt that was pushed to people. Adjustable. There we go. It's essentially variable. Adjustable rate mortgages. Yeah. 